This is The Weekly. I'm Stuart Christensen, the writer and editor. Every Tuesday, our podcast hopes to provide you with the information of the world. Today, the Pakistani plane accident, reopening America, and an interview with Dr. Haggerty from Montana State University. I will start today with the rather tragic large story of the week. On Friday was a plane crash of Pakistan International Airlines Flight 8303. The plane that crashed was a 2004-built Airbus A320 jet. The cause of the crash was unknown, but it is presumed to be pilot error involving the landing gear. The country of Pakistan had recently opened up their domestic flight business before the crash. This crash is very unlikely to hurt Airbus majorly because the crash was not directly the fault of the plane as it was during the 737 MAX scandal back in 2019. In fact, as of the 26th of May, Airbus's stock had risen over 16%. Every state in the country has now begun some sort of reopening plan. This should hopefully boost the American economy. However, Americans have begun to congregate into small areas disobeying social distancing, which could cause a new surge in cases. The United States has passed a grim milestone as the death toll of coronavirus passes 100,000. While we pass a grim milestone in deaths, we have reached an achievement in testing, with over 14 million tests conducted in the United States to date. New countries are beginning to see a spike in the number of cases. These countries are Brazil and Russia. Brazil now has the second most number of cases, with over 300,000 reported there. The president has added Brazil to the list of countries that are banned from entering the United States. We will most likely see spikes in cases in the southern hemisphere as they go through their winter. And now for the markets. On the 26th, the Dow spiked 2%, blasting past the $25,000 mark. The S&P 500 has made it above $3,000, only $200 behind its all-time high in February of this month. Tech stocks saw a large jump as well this morning, particularly GE, which has opened up 7.5%. And now for her interview with Dr. Haggerty. Hello. Stuart. How are you? Good, how are you? I'm pretty good. Um, How's Montana? It is a beautiful day here. Uh, We're really just getting, well, it's probably not too different for Vermont. We're just getting the beginning of um, really nice weather. So, yeah, it's good. Um, So I'm going to start off with um, sort of some opening questions. Mainly, what has life in Montana been like for you over the past couple of months? Well, I imagine it's somewhat different than what you have experienced because we are um, kind of at the end of the road. So we don't have nearly the caseload of COVID-19 that other places do, but we did go pretty dramatically from um, everyday life. So COVID hit the, well, the, the kind of public response to COVID really took off um, right around March, I would say like 15th or 16th here. And our last day of classes before spring break was March 13th. So on the 
Thursday, so that was a Friday, on the Thursday before the 13th, um, the university announced in the middle of the day that they were going to close down and everybody had to kind of figure out how to get home early. Um, and then, <clears throat> so then it was that following week that things really kind of shifted. Um, and so for the first, uh, you know, six to eight weeks, everything was completely quiet and everybody was sheltering in place. Our um, hospital did have a surge of cases, but it, it was such a small number that nothing was overwhelmed. Um, and now it's so, so consequently, you know, we have kind of gone to reopening earlier than other places. Um, and we still don't have many tourists coming in. So that is why we can report, you know, in our County, for example, there's currently zero active cases. Um, but yeah, it's been a very strange and different time. And we have been pretty much just everyone here staying at home. Um, the difference I think between other places is that we have been allowed to recreate, um, ever since the beginning of the shelter in place order. And so because we live in a place with a lot of trails and open space, we haven't really been stuck in the house in the same way, same way that people have been elsewhere. Um, so we've been, it's actually been really busy out at the cross country ski place, which was, you know, technically closed, but people would drive up there and ski every day and busy at the trailheads and things like that. So, um, it's definitely kind of the Montana experience of sheltering in place. Everybody stays home and doesn't do much shopping and doesn't go to work, but they still get out for lots of outdoor time. Okay. So the way it seems to me is like, it's not been terribly strict shelter in place comparatively to other um, states in the country. Not at all. And um, that's probably been a problem for people who feel very vulnerable because, um, I mean, the, the business is definitely closed. So that part has been followed and I'm not sure really what the enforcement has been. Um, but yeah, it's been very much open to people's interpretation. So when you go to the grocery store, a few people might be wearing masks, many people aren't, um, so I think that's been pretty stressful for essential workers. Um, and at first people were being very diligent about shopping as little as possible and that kind of thing. But that's all really changed now. I would say life is definitely not back to normal, but people are moving very with a lot of mobility and don't seem to be particularly you know, worried about uh, transmission right now. Okay, how is how is testing been in um in Montana? Because I understand that um this might not be the case there, but um in especially like um more rural states, the testing infrastructure hasn't been as robust um as in other other places. I I'm not really getting that vibe from Montana, but um I I, I think I should probably ask you. So you would have to read up on the specific details. I can tell you my general understanding, which is that um, the testing resources are very limited here. That means that we have contained testing to only kind of essential situations. So those people who have been, um, 
who have who believe they may have symptoms and wish to get a test but are not um, in a high risk category or not living with someone with high risk haven't been able to get tests. So we don't have adequate testing to really understand what's happening at the kind of the population level. Um, and there is now drive up testing, but you still have to have a doctor's order to do that. And they're still kind of rationing the testing based on a, um, you know, a principle of priority. So that, and that will probably remain the case. And, and in super rural areas, um, I can email you, there's a great story. The, the testing resources are just extremely limited because we have such great, we have such small, small towns in rural Montana and such huge distances between them. So there's a story um, that went around in one of the local papers about um, an individual who has a small plane that he uses for agricultural purposes, like crop dusting and things like that. Um, and he was asked to fly a test sample um, to the state capital in Helena, which is, you know, just sort of shows what a big undertaking it is for, for some of these rural areas to really um, participate in the testing program. Okay. Well, thank you very much for, um, for explaining the sort of pandemic situation in Montana, but um, I understand that you are a uh, professor at the Montana State University. Correct. Is that correct? I am. Um, how is, how is um, teaching been over, over the course of the past two months? So we, right after, during spring break, they made the announcement that students would not be invited to come back to campus and all teaching would be conducted remotely. So that gave faculty a few days to take, um, nobody was prepared for this and no one had, I mean, unless you were already for some reason teaching a course that was delivered online, no one really had, you know, resources planned for this. Um, so I just sat in my little office in my upstairs of my house and tried to adjust as I could. And it was, um, it was a difficult experience because it was very hard to know what was the appropriate thing for all of my students. So I was teaching two classes that are taught at kind of the college junior level, um, have about 30 people each in them. And it was just really hard. Students went back home and they come from all different kinds of places. And when they went home, they had all different kinds of, you know, responsibilities and challenges associated with um, life under COVID. So some had to look after children, some had to help their family members, some had, were in places where there was a lot of illness. Others were home with literally nothing to do and very bored. Um, and some had great internet access and some had terrible internet access. So trying to not only technologically deliver something that would be useful to everybody, but also kind of meet the variety of students where they were with respect to you know, how much they were able to make these classes a focus of their everyday life. Um, that was really challenging and, um, and was very like, took up a lot of my emotional energy trying to um, do the right thing because, you know, I would say mostly speaking for myself as a professor, I, you know, I care deeply about my students and I, I think that the college experience is really pivotal time in your life. So I felt quite sorry for them that they had 
this sudden interruption um, in their life and in their studies and really wanted to try to soften the blow of that as much as I could. But that said, it was pretty difficult because, because of the difficulty of sort of knowing what the right path was given so many different backgrounds that people had. And then also, um, you know, my own case, I had suddenly went from being at work every day to being at home and having to supervise children and things like that. So um, I did, did some classes live and not very many people attended, but I would record those and post them. And I would say of my students, um, you know, maybe a third did as well or better than they would have done being, you know, in the normal classroom a third kind of just scraped by and then a third of my students just sort of disappeared. I don't, you know, I completely lost touch. Some of them texted right away or emailed and said, I'm not going to be able to do this. And they just dropped out of classes. So it was a pretty big loss. Yeah. Um, as a student myself, um, as in, in high school, I've, um, I've seen a lot less synchronous, opportunities compared to my brother who's in middle school who's only had synchronous classes mm -hmm. um i i haven't had any um any really mandatory zoom or um face-to-face -face, um classes but there have been check-ins just because there are people from all over the world it would be so hard to oh, right you um, have a time a big complication of time zones yes and i did have a few international students in one of my classes and um, a couple of them tried to call in, um, you know, at a, it would be 11 at night or midnight their time for a little while. And then I think they just kind of gave up because it was too difficult. Um, so have you needed to change your, um, your class syllabi in any way um, in order to adapt to the um, current circumstances? Yes, I did in both of my classes. So in one class, I just, um, I, I essentially sort of, cut some of the material because there was just a some loss of um you know sort of inst instructional opportunities associated with this transition so we sort of did a week less of material than we might normally have done and in another class we have a big um I teach a class on energy resources and at the end of the term students do a big independent research project and then we usually have about four class periods where people are presenting their research on renewable energy systems. And it didn't make sense to try to do that digitally. So I just cut that entirely. Well, I cut the presentation piece from it and I sort of made the, the, the material smaller. So I definitely had to adjust. Uh, do you think that there's like a, a workload, um, decrease for college students I've 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 seen for for me at least a, a huge decrease in the workload mm -hmm. which I I think has given me opportunity to do a lot more stuff I've been going on to Khan Academy quite a bit actually um but I I've, I've felt both less work and freedom to um choose when mm -hmm. I want to do the mm -hmm. work um, I felt like that's been helpful. Do you have a sort of um, teacher's take on that's that? That's a great point. So I think in my course, um, the demand in terms of how much students should be reading and um, what papers they had to write and exams they had didn't change. But certainly 
there was a lot more flexibility about the timing and deadlines. Um, I had one student who did all of the work in the class that I posted uh, pretty much in the first week of shelter in place. So he had no work to do until the final exam, you know, and I, I don't know what he was doing with his time, but just as you say, he could have been using that, the time that he freed up in that way in many different possible productive ways. Um, so I would say not less work, but maybe lots more flexibility on when it has to get done. And then I don't think a lot of the students were actually watching the online material um, with a lot of, you know, dedication somewhere, but so they were essentially missing class. Um, so I think there was a, for most students, um, probably could get by with doing less work. That said, some of the work kind of lent itself to more, um, they might've had time freed up to do the kind of independent explorations that you're talking about and really dig into something. So in one of my classes, we have a final research paper on a subject of people's choice. And some of the students I'm sure did, you know, a particularly excellent job because they had a lot of flexibility in their schedule. That said, I will say that, you know, I had a whole mass of students who I didn't hear from for the first, you know, five weeks of shelter in place. And then they all got in touch, you know, a week before final saying, hey, I'm way behind. Can I have some flexibility in my deadlines? Um, which makes me think they just didn't use their time very, you know, um, they weren't able to use their time in a very uh, productive way, that unstructured time. And I would say I certainly heard from a number of students that they just found the, the rapid shift from having a very regimented schedule to having a completely open-ended schedule, pretty overwhelming. And many of them didn't really know how to handle that. Right. All right. Um, thank you for that response. Um, so my, my last question for you, I, I know you're probably not the, not the highest up person in the college, but what do you see happening in the fall? Yeah, we watch this really carefully. Um, and I, I'm a member of Faculty Senate, which is a, the body that represents faculty. And so it's sort of like student council, but it's faculty council. So we get, you know, regular updates. Um, MSU is attempting to hold live classes in the fall. I think that is very important to keeping enrollment up. Um, and because Montana is a relatively less, um, less of a hot spot, I guess you could call it like a COVID cool spot. Um, it doesn't seem totally unreasonable to hope that we might be able to offer face-to-face -face instruction. And what we have been um, asked to do as faculty is choose a mode for our classes that is best suited to the nature of the class, but planning for a very strict social distancing environment. So as an example, that means that if you have a class um, that used to be in a large lecture hall with a capacity of 150 people, under social distancing guidelines, the capacity of that hall might be more like 40 people. So then you have to redesign how you deliver your class so that you can accommodate that smaller space. So do you, you know, cap the enrollment in the class and make it smaller? A lot of people are going to a model where, you know, as a student, you might have two of your three lectures online and every third lecture you get to come to class as a subset of the class. Now, everybody's planning frantically to try to accommodate these things while also recognizing that things change on a weekly basis with us and we may be 
facing a different set of instructions and mandates, you know, sometime in the future, just as the COVID situation develops. And they've certainly asked us to be ready to take our classes online completely should campus have to shut down again at any point in the fall. Right, because there's definitely that fear that bringing back all those <laughs> students to the university would would make a make a hot spot, which would Absolutely. not be a good thing. Um, yeah. Um, thank you very much for joining. Thank you for Dr. having Harvey. me, Stuart. It's wonderful to talk to you. All right. Okay. Take Have a care. great day. Bye. 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 for listening to the weekly we will be playing every tuesday afternoon i'm stuart christensen and until next tuesday have a wonderful week